0: Welcome to 15-Minute Fundamentals, where we break down crypto projects and learn about the drivers behind the data you see on our charts. Today, I'm joined by Quag from NFTX, a liquidity protocol for NFTs. Hey Quag, welcome to 15-Minute Fundamentals. It's great to have you on. Great to be here. To kick things off, could you give a quick intro
1: to NFTX? Yeah, so NFTX is a liquidity protocol for NFTs, and I guess most notably, it's like fully permissionless. So everything happens on chain. There's no, it's not like an open sea marketplace where it's all handled on databases with signatures. Uh, it's a fully on chain uh, liquidity protocol for NFTs. How does that work
0: in practice? So, at a bit more of a technical level, what is a liquidity protocol for NFTs?
1: So, I guess the main underlying tech behind it is you have an NFT, so an ERC 721 or 1155, which traditionally isn't fungible. And, um, you would deposit that into one of the NFTX vaults and in return for that, the vault would take your NFT and then hold it in the vault and it would return you one ERC20 token that sort of represents that NFT in the vault. So like one of the key concepts of NFTX is to like vaults to NFTs, there's always like a one-to-one mapping of like the ERC20 token. So we'll say punk, for example, if you put a punk into the vault, the vault mints one punk token, uh, and then you get back one, one punk token. Um, If you're selling there and buying there, are fees attached to that and the fees are paid in the punk token. Um, But that's ultimately how it works. You deposit a NFT into the vault. The vault mints a token uh, and gives that out. And to likewise, to then take an NFT back out of the vault, uh, the contract requires one punk token to go in, at which point it will then burn that token and send a punk uh, back out.
0: Yeah, so it's a very different model to what users um, might be used to seeing with peer-to-peer marketplaces like OpenSea and LooksRare. And on that, it would actually be really interesting to hear what the main innovations are from a user perspective that you introduced with your model compared to these other solutions.
1: I'm pretty sure it was the first. And if not as the first, it was definitely I think, the most successful at basically making on-chain NFT liquidity, effectively. So when this came out... Um, very late 2020, early 2021, like the NFT scene itself was really only just starting to, you know, to take to take off. I you know, think like the early Hash Mask mints and stuff, and there wasn't really much activity. There's probably like 20 collections total that people like knew at that time, even maybe even 10. So this was sort of the first real attempt, I believe, at sort of turning what you know a non fungible token to something fungible. Uh, and at the start, they were it was just quite a crude interface. Uh, where people could LP and sort of just earn regular like sushi AMM or uni AMM fees on these pools. Um, it was quite clunky <laughs> and slow, but um, it was quite a big step forward. I think in the tech at that time, sort of unlocks a lot of potential for people who wanted to be able to sort of buy and sell or start running arbitrage on stuff if they could realize they could buy on OpenSea and then mint it into NFTX and then sell that token to Sushi. You know, I think people were quite profitable in those early days, allowing sort of price floors to be stable and the opportunity for, for arbitrages to come in. Then in time, I guess, as it grew, uh, the product team sort of came on, which is uh, where I spend most of my time. And that was turning it from just effectively what really at the time was like a sort of proof of concept protocol when we saw that there was like actual genuine interest and uptake in the ability to get these entities uh, into like pools of liquidity for people to buy and sell into. Um, it became a lot more about f- building up um, platforms for people to actually see you know what was in there like otherwise you had to just you were querying to get token ids you were referencing token ids on open you know an open it was really quite difficult so the, the big progress from that point was sort of building up this uh, the marketplace view where you could see what was in the vaults you could buy and sell directly and um, we sort of built out these uh, zap contracts that allowed you to go in and sort of instead of having to sort of uh, previously you had to mint the token directly on the contract you you get the token back you go to an amm you know it's a slow process we made these sort of zap contracts that allow you to do that uh, directly uh, on, on the on the web app itself which again again a sort of enabled users much quicker access you know people who aren't really technically savvy you know a lot of people sort of came in with the NFT wave and they can like control a wallet they you know about you know using an interface and a web app but having to like dive into ether scan um, and do things directly it was a bit confusing or really dealing with AMM pools so uh, yeah that allowed those sorts of users to come in and uh, be able to sort of sell instant liquidity which is i think the whole NFTX model uh, and the idea of instant liquidity of NFT floors kind of drove kick started the whole like metaphy scene really with like the financialization of NFTs when people realised that there was sort of this liquid uh floor available. I think really sort of helped boost the idea you know, of quote unquote floor that everyone talks about right you now. You know, what what is basically the best bid, you know, on the table. Uh and that came from like these at the time, like these sushi pools that Um, was just representing the liquidity so it wasn't like a person you know having to buy this was literally just a permissionless always there liquidity pool and if you know there's always a buyer of lush resort and it's always the it was always the liquidity pool
0: exactly and instant liquidity at a floor price of an nft is a pretty valuable feature Um, i could have used that a few times over the past year can you actually explain how these floor prices are determined on nftx Prices
1: is fully determined by effectively the market or the or the liquidity pools. So anytime, it's it's basically it is since they're since the the NFTs are minted into ERC twenty tokens, the the whole NFTX pool is basically just backed by a liquidity pool of ETH and however many of the tokens and you know so like Punk and ETH are in the in the Punk vault basically and every time you go and buy a punk obviously it puts eth into the pool and takes punk out and that puts price up the sort of way that the usual uh people who are familiar with like buying and selling in, in any sort of like unisop or sushi pools you know there's the idea of slippage and having deeper liquidity the deeper liquidity the more you can buy without prices going up lots so you know we get a lot of questions sort of come in the discourse being like oh why the price is so high in nftx or why is the price so low or what's the difference it's because oh well as things get more expensive, you need more and more and more liquidity in the pool to sort of keep those spreads down. Um, and that's where we start to see other tooling and other projects come in, protocols come into the vein now to sort of try and handle that issue. But yeah, it's cool. And FTX pricing is handled basically completely permission. It's just the, like when someone, we have a lot of bot arbitrage now. So someone will go onto OpenSea or LuxRare uh, or Sudonow and they'll list at whatever price. Uh, a bot will just be scanning an MEV bot and it will be like, I can buy that for 0.1 on OpenSea, I can sell it immediately into NFTX for, for 0.1, 0, 0.1, you know, whatever, tiny percentage profit points, but just running over and over and over again. So yeah, price are basically kept in line just by arbitrage, the same way they're effectively kept in line anywhere. When when the prices go up, people will buy it because NFTX is cheaper or the prices um, go down, they'll sell into it. Um, and it's just sort of kept in line mainly by, by arbitraging the market. Got it. Yeah, you guys definitely paved the path um, for
0: creating liquid markets in the NFT space. And, you know, when you create a solution to a clear problem, you'll probably find some competition up against you at some point. And kind of related to that, uh, I'd be keen on hearing what the main differences are between NFTX and pseudo which also facilitates liquid trading across floor prices of uh, NFTs.
1: I mean, the main obvious difference is we deal with fractionalized uh, nfts basically so we're fractionalizing. we're dealing with like partial amounts of token that represent the nft and sudo is it's whole units so you're buying and selling actual nfts so i was think like sudo is actually much more akin to like a an on-chain OpenSea basically. It's like a it's like a full mark you don't have to you can list anything at any price on, on sudo and it will and it'll be sold, you know, permissionlessly. It's also on-chain. So yeah, the biggest difference is we deal with fractions of tokens and a single pool. So an NFTX vault is backed by a single pool, which is why it will always trend to floor price, because it's always basically acting as like the lowest common denominator of asset. It's a it's the liquidity pool of the amount of assets that anyone will sell into at what price or buy at that price. So if, for example, if you put in like a hoodie punk or, you know, into the punk pool, someone is going to, within the next block, probably, because I think the punk pool has quite advanced MEV on it, would be taken out immediately because obviously hoodie punks are worth far more than floor punks and the NFT uh, price will track the floor price of the bolt because it's an instant liquidity cost. So it's only ever going to track basically the lowest price. Whereas Pseudo, it's like a collection of pools. So like when you're browsing on Pseudo, you're, it's basically you're just browsing other people's listings. You know, um when a sell or a buy happens on sudo, the person who owns the fees will be the person who was selling, you know, the asset. Whereas NFTX is socialized pools. So if you are providing liquidity or inventory in uh, in NFTX, anytime there's a buy or sell or a swap on it, everyone gets the rewards shared proportionally to their stake. Whereas sudo obviously, you know, it could be a you could go to buy a punk or something on sudo and there's 50 punks listed, and someone buys one, and you may have had your punk listed. You know, either side of it or something, but you don't get any fees because yours didn't sell. Basically, so that's why I sort of compare it, compare it much more to you know an on-chain order book, Markwoods, and it's got some cool stuff with their pricing curves um, and lp ranges and stuff. But yeah, the biggest difference is it's it's whole units for them, whereas it's fractionalized for us. Got it. Now, uh, I recently read about an upcoming integration you guys are
0: working on with ZeroX. Uh, it sounded pretty exciting. So could you walk me through kind of the features that'll be introduced with that?
1: Yeah. So at the moment, all the liquidity and FTX goes into the sushi pools. So anytime you're on the site and you deposit and add liquidity or whatnot, um, it'll go into the sushi pool because that's where the nftx rewards come from like uh the, the rewards that are paid for stakers uh come out of your proportional balance staking in the sushi pool you're providing liquidity but what we want to allow people to do is sort of add we call vault tokens v tokens like the punk tokens if i say vault token or v token i'm just referring to punk the ic20 token that represents the nft we want people to be able to sort of provide liquidity anywhere and the marketplace to source it. So the very common thing at the moment is concentrated liquidity ranges that UniV3 offer, where you can say, I'm happy to LP Punk between like 40 ETH and 100 ETH. Like if Punk gets down to 40 ETH, I'm happy to be all in Punk. If Punk gets to 100 ETH, I want to be all out of Punk and and, and all into ETH. And those sorts of concentrated ranges obviously allow for much tighter spreads because it's liquidity like condensed into a range and therefore it the more concentrated liquidity you have around the current spot price the tighter your spreads will be so the idea is that say someone like floor who's like a power user effectively of NFTX uh, at scale p- part of their strategy would be will lp on NFTX in the sushi pool to get our NFTX rewards and we would also put like a chunk of liquidity in a uni v3 range sort of around spot price because what that will do is encourage usage of the NFTX vault because if NFTX buys and sells remain as close to spot price as possible then there'll be much more activity uh which in turn like churns the NFTX vault fees and they would also be earning because it's uni swap v3 they could set like one percent as the amm fee which is much bigger than the the current like you get a fee on sushi so the idea is it allows people to do other strategies uh so like put up a concentrated range uh, like we just did it on the dev test. We, we run uh, like a mainnet test with this the other day and on our little dev account, we just set up a small range on like the little pudgies pool where we're like, we'll just set it, a range between like 0.1 ETH and 0.3 ETH and the spot price is uh, 0.2 ETH. And then we went onto the UI and we noticed that when you're buying and selling, you see it's pulling liquidity from multiple sources. Now we showed on the UI like, oh, you know, it's pulled a bit from Uniswap because of that range there, you know, you get the best price if we're aggregating sources, So it's basically just about giving people the opportunity to add liquidity anywhere and know that it's going to be used uh, for vault activity and activity on NFTX. Things like, you know, balancer pools, basically. And it might be that you're getting some pool rewards. So, maybe you know, if some liquidity provider somewhere is like doing promoting or liquidity mining, you know, rewards, like sushi used to have onsen rewards back in the day and NFTX pools used to get like onsen rewards. So it sort of allows that sort of thing. If people want to promote the usage, you know, uh, of NFTX pools on other platforms, they can do that knowing that the NFTX UI Uh, marketplace is going to be pulling in that liquidity. So when people buy, sell and swap from it, they will be using that liquidity.
0: Got it. And onto financials, can you walk us through NFTX's fee model? So who pays fees for what and who earns them?
1: Yeah, so buyers uh, and sellers and swappers are the ones who pay the fees and all those fees go to liquidity stakers and inventory stakers. Like the NFTX protocol doesn't take any fees all the fees, all the rewards earned goes to the people who are providing liquidity and inventory. Probably a good time to define the two different types of stakers in an NFTX, right? So there's liquidity stakers. Those are the people who are pairing uh, the punk with ETH in the liquidity pool. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and that's that's the most important role, basically. That's what allows the NFTX protocol to work with the people the liquidity providers who are providing the liquidity for people to buy and sell into. Then the other side of it is inventory stakers. Um, and this was actually, I think one of the coolest probable like breakthroughs or, you know, things that has happened in the space when we, when we launched inventory staking late last year. Um, and that allows you effectively just, if you have floor NFTs and you're not personally attached to them, you sort of just want exposure to the project still, you can deposit them into NFTX and you will earn, uh, rewards, um, On your vault token and nftx rewards are obviously paid in the vault token itself fees are paid in punk for example so you could just have a floor punk you'd stake it in nftx and you would be earning interest basically in punk on your punk so rather than having to sell or, you know, you're, oh, I'm bullish on punks long term, I don't want to sell. You know, Everyone always like, you know, oh, non-productive assets. You know, everyone wants their asset to be doing something. Got to be earning yield somewhere or something. You know, these floor assets, you can just park them in FTX vaults. And what that does is it adds inventory to the vault. That's why you're called inventory providers because you have put a punk in. So now anyone else can go in and buy that punk you are returned a PUNK token as earning interest. So, you know, in three, four, five years, when you decide you might want to sell a PUNK or cash out or whatever, you know, you could have earned, I think the PUNK inventory is quite low. It's like 2% or something like that. But, you know, you would have earned that interest just in your PUNK sitting there doing nothing. And it's the most popular form of staking by far. Like, inventory staking far outweighs liquidity staking because it's, aside from smart contract risk, you know, it's it's risk-free. You're just parking it in there. You will always be able to claim the amount of NFTs back that you put in. Um, and you're just earning interest on top of it. Uh, So those people, inventory stakers, earn 20% of the rewards. So if it's a 0.1 punk fee to sell instantly, you know, 0.02, whatever, goes to the spread amongst the inventory stakers. And that 80%, that 0.08, is uh, spread out pro rata against liquidity stakers. And they tend to do really well, liquidity stakers, because there's so much more inventory, you have 80% of the rewards being split out across like maybe only 50% of the of the entire stakers. So we, we do see really good yields on, on liquidity stakers. And I think one of the best examples of that is the guy who LP'd about 17 Pudgy Penguins in like April or something. Or about 2.5 ETH per penguin. It's like 47 ETH or something and, and the corresponding amount of Pudgy Penguins are like 2.7 ETH or something. And they just range traded this entire time. They went down to like one, then back up to three, then down to one, back up to three again. And uh, this person who's LPing in this pool, they have earned over like 11 pudgy in rewards. So that's 11 penguins. And like, I always think about NFTs really, other than like being you know, like a social concept that we can, communities and that sort of thing, you know, uh, shit coins with pictures, as Kobe would say. Um, they're like a leverage play on ETH, effectively. Like everyone buys NFTs and when they're selling them, they want to have got more ETH, right? The whole, the whole idea is that you are outperforming outperforming ETH. So in any sort of, protocol platform where you're earning fees and you're just earning in eth i mean that's great because you're earning eth that's great but you're not getting the outperformance that like the nfts you know we're attracted to that that people want that sort of that, that high beta gain so to have earned like 11 pudgies in rewards and obviously pudgies now sort of still still going up uh it's just been a sort of an incredible it's like a really cool use case to see somebody just set up that pool let it run and they're still not playing that awards yet they're still just sitting there and they've learned like 11 pudgies and at like three and a half weeks or something a pudgy penguin you know they've sort of done real well and at that point so although now as let's say the penguins go to like ten ETH or something well then yeah he'll be staring his you know impermanent loss in the face at that point but before that happened obviously whilst it was correctly you know in this range you know he's printed a huge amount of uh of yield in the form of in the form of the nft so he keeps that upside exposure
0: okay wow that sounds i'm actually an inventory staker and in, i think the other deed collection myself on ftx it sounds like i should become a liquidity staker as well so yes need nice. to need to make a few transactions there so a good
1: thing to look at is if you go on like the yields.nftx.io that's like the yield focus site we had everything on the uh, the the nftx.io site to start with, but it became really difficult to sort of do all the yieldy things we wanted to do on top of marketplace. So we're still sort of balancing out how that's gonna work. But yield.nftx.io is the, the main place where we show more interesting yield-based stats. Um, and i do something, and you can look at the stakers split, which is quite an interesting thing. So if you remember, I said that 80% of the rewards go to liquidity stakers and 20% goes to inventory. That means basically like the optimal reward setup pools really should sort of trend to the 80-20 split of stakers. A lot of the time, you'll see pools where, like, the stake is split. It's like fifty percent, fifty percent, fifty percent, and that again means that the liquidity stakers, you know. 50% of these people are, are getting 80% of the rewards. So yeah, that's why the the APRs tend to be tend to do better.
0: Some alpha right there. Um a while back you launched on Arbitrum. We don't yet have that data on our dashboard just token terminal, but how how is that looking for you? What kind of traction are you
1: seeing there? Not a lot. There was smaller people in the beginning and we were using it as a sort of like testnet thing to get up and running. Uh, the main problem we hit with Arbitrum was like a lot of the infrastructure we used like we're powered by a lot of subgraphs and stuff from the graph, uh, a lot of decentralized tech and um it all sort of died uh, their the subgraphs they stopped working like graph with the graph protocol because arbitrum had their upcoming which is now released nitro upgrade so there was like a bunch of broken subgraphs and issues with the subgraphs on the graph and uh, they, their stance was basically, well, we'll wait for the Nitro upgrade to fix it. Now, so the Nitro upgrade has come now and the Arbitrum vaults work again now. Like the, well, they've always worked, but the, the marketplace now, the Arbitrum marketplace in FTX works again now because the Nitro upgrade has happened. So uh, all holdings are up to date, all your wallet balances are up to date. So I'm hoping maybe we'll see some more uptick in, in Arbitrum now, it's like a, maybe a secondary NFT market, or it seems to be like Solana seems to be the place maybe where that seems to be like the other sort of busy or cheaper NFT market. I'm not really sure you see much other than like the treasure magic stuff on Arbitrum. But I mean, yeah, it's all what the issue I had before was that the tech wasn't working on Arbitrum. The tech is working on Arbitrum now. So, you know, I'm hoping maybe we'll see some more some more uptake in the future.
0: And um, outside of like general NFT volume and activity dying down, what would you say are like the current drivers or challenges related to, to your growth?
1: The main challenge at the moment, I guess, is like retaining interest and stuff through like... A bear with nft volumes you know uh drying out um trying to attract talent you know like bringing on more sort of facility devs to handle our you know our visions for like v3 and stuff in the future during uh during a trying channel this where lots of the, sort of the, the interest and uh money whatever has has dried up or people have left for for other projects so i think just general market sentiment is probably the the biggest growth blocker at the moment but a lot, I think mean, a lot of the drivers we've got coming up is we are seeing more and more like protocols spinning up who want to integrate NFTX liquidity into things they do borrowing protocols lending protocols you know having a immediately liquidatable <laughs> fungible uh, asset is is appealing to you know a lot of sort of lending lending and, and borrowing protocols and I think we see and again that like inventory staking seems to be like more, the more people seem to find out about it the more appealing it gets so we have a sort of an up only chart really on the amount of inventory stakers as people sort of realize at the moment you know oh i can just park this in NFTX and earn interest so those are probably biggest drivers at the moment and yeah challenges at the moment is trying to attract attract talent and uh uh, and attract liquidity into you know into the pools
0: yeah i'm I'm sure attracting talent is definitely a problem a lot of projects are facing right now and the uh, bear market is not helping out there kind of related to the subject especially technical talent do you experience a lot of organic community contributions to to the gold base? Is that something you encourage at all or are you trying to keep
1: development somewhat in-house? But well, on protocol side, like definitely and sort of on ancillary projects, sort of friend of the NFX, uh, Chapel Quantumly has, has built out and sort of open source subgraph that we've used for things like token holding subgraph that we've used extensively. Um, and that was just sort of a community contribution. Um, but since like the UIs are closed source, because that's basically what the nftx dao pays the product team to build for them there isn't a lot of community you know there's sort of a product team who works on building it we get a lot of community feedback so it's full of no i like this i don't like this can we have this a lot of requests but in terms of like pull requests and contributions no it's it's basically it's effectively handled in-house
0: and then i just had a quick question about the nftx
1: token could you describe its role purely governance in that it votes so like NFTX is like a proper Aragon DAO in that everything is basically handled via the governance token like changes to the contracts you know have to get uh, voted through with the token so if in the future token holders wanted to see a certain amount of revenue returned to token holders or you know that sort of stuff that's what would go through that would go through governance effectively and, and the token voting and I guess loosely now as you saw with other governance tokens they sort of Float at a sort of treasury valuation, you know, people sort of equate the token to, you know, a claim on the treasury at worst case, you know, if NFTX had to decide to like, you know, close up shop or whatever, you know, its uh, treasury would get liquidated and would be, you know, spread out amongst token holders. Um, but yeah, pu- at the moment it's purely a governance uh, token. I think that originally there was some put aside for do like liquidity mining incentives, but uh, it never really, you know, mercenary liquidity never really paid off for anyone and i'm thinking in the long run
0: got it now a hot topic around nft liquidity protocols has been related to creator royalties as they're not paid in trades executed on nftx and other liquidity protocols i'd be keen on hearing your thoughts on this topic in general and whether you have any plans to enforce royalties at some point or enable voluntary royalty payments on vault contracts or Anything, anything like that?
1: I mean, So I have some personal opinions, I guess, strong opinions like loosely held uh, that I sort of flip-flop on all the time. Uh, I guess to start with, from an NFTX uh, point of view, there's nothing in place at the time. NFTX always wants to do everything uh, on-chain. I think that's like, so rather than like, the social contract of royalties, you know, um, the only way it can ever sort of be enforced at like the NFTX level would be if it's on chain. Otherwise, you know, people just wrap it. There's all you know, you end up and they're just being avoided anyway. So we've looked into stuff and we're sort of monitoring like EIP 2981, I think, which is like basically an NFT royalty standard like baked into the token and having stuff like that available or like on chain standards, make it much easier than like at the moment just sort of you just read from like you know a web3 database the royalty percentage and attempt to tack that on to the transaction basically so at the moment NFTX does nothing because it would require something on chain more than a social contract i mean again that's where like token holders may come in and like vote that you know should ntx tack royalties onto whatever and you get like a vote on chain the token holders could vote in it um We'd like to do stuff where it's basically up to the vault creator. I think that's sort of where our vision for V3 would go, where people like spin up these vaults. They have options on defining sort of royalties. And once those royalties are defined at like a vault level at a contract level, they become much easier to be I guess, enforced, so to speak, in that, you know, it doesn't, exp- there's no social contract or, you know, contract relied on it. It's just, that's what the code says that, you know, to interact with the contract, it needs, it requires X royalty and therefore it happens that way. So in the next sort of version of NFTX, when we hope to have a lot of focus on creator flexibility, you know, sort of maybe launchpad stuff where collections may launch via NFTX and uh Hold a certain percentage of their own supply back or something and be able to define sort of vault royalties I mean you there will always be a marketplace that spins up somewhere that is royalty free because you know free markets Basically, that's always gonna happen So our idea would be if there's something on chain we can implement great. We can implement it or allowing vault creators to Create so what happens at that point is you may get like an official you know let's just say other deeds for example or something you know like yuga they're like all right well we will create one on the nerds it'll be like the yuga official other deeds lab and we've tacked on like a two percent uh royalty onto it and that's enforced on chain you know people may use that vault and then what else will happen is you know the existing you or someone else may spin up a you know other deed vault brackets no no royalties no fees or something and then ultimately the market tends to you know decide what's used and whether whether these projects then start enforcing you know oh if you've not paid a royalty you've come from this protocol we'll try and backlist you know there's so that feels like that's that oncoming war coming where you know how what might these projects do and attempt to try and thwart off or protect their royalties but um from an nftx perspective it wants to just be as permissionless as possible and therefore if someone wants to create a vault with royalties we'd love to be able to allow them to do that uh, with us and at the same time if somebody wants to create one without that's you know that's their prerogative and ultimately like the market would decide. My own personal view is I find ro- royalties to be very high on a liquid floor so it's quite a tax on people who are buying and selling I think when the royalties happen on a when you have so many of an asset trading at a single price point it, it at that point it is really just trading like a sort of derivative or just I want to buy effectively like shares in that NFT really. And um, when they're traded like assets at that level, rather than sort of, you know, just fewer transactions, higher art and stuff, uh, it's quite an expensive tax, I guess, to pay on. That's sort of my current view. But I mean, like I said, it's it's not strongly held. I flip flop on things most days, but yeah, at, at the moment, I think I would expect that you may see just royalties trend lower anyway. I think it's probably a a, a good start, I guess. Because uh, on very, you know, on really high volume traded stuff, you know, a three percent on every single, every single transaction is is a lot. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I actually really
0: like the plan to enable creator flexibility in the future. Uh, that sounds pretty cool, and uh, it's interesting to hear about the uh, technical perspective there. That there's currently a lack of on-chain tools uh, to efficiently support royalty payments. I think that's something that a lot of people probably aren't even aware of. And on your final point, you're right. If anyone here was paying a, you know, two to 5% fee on trading any other liquid asset, they probably wouldn't be too happy or doing it for too long. (laughs) But it's gonna be interesting to see how the royalty market develops for especially different types of collections as the whole NFT market matures. But moving on to the final question, what is next for NFTX? I know you're working on some cool integrations,
1: but what else is on your long-term roadmap? The current iteration is V2. I think the current plan really is uh, effectively wrapping a bow on B2. These version of the contracts been running for over a year now, like 14 months or something, you know, seen a large amount of value, good amount of TVL. And it's, it's more so sort it's of about securing then these these contracts, potentially making them sort of not upgradable anymore. So, you know, they're just effectively set, you know, as they are. So there's not so much, you know, a risk of in the future, you know, that that's sort of a concern for, you know, other parties if, if contracts aren't upgradable. So it's funny, I think tying a bow on V2 and adding the V2 functionality into so like, we've got with the zero X API, Uh, In for liquidity, it'll be probably tidying up and spinning up the new marketplace uh, to sort of more match what we're heading with with the yield app, um, more personalization options or something. So sort of a a nicer experience for like browsing using the marketplace, Um, really trying to make it much easier for users to buy, sell and stake like we're hoping soon to get out what we'll just call like a a naked ETH uh, zap. So at the moment, when you want to provide liquidity, you know, you either have to have one of the NFTs or you have to have one of the tokens already. And then you pair that with ETH or whatever and you add liquidity. Whereas I think a lot of people want to come on, they'll browse NFTX yields, they'll see the APRs and they'll be like, cool, I want some of that. And then they go to stake and they're like, oh, I've got to buy this first. I've got to do that. So we're currently developing just an ETH only zap where you could be like, yo, I just want to put five ETH, you know, into this pool. And then you can be like, oh, I'll, you know, I want one ETH inventory and I want four ETH in liquidity. And it'll sort of do all that magic for you uh, behind the scenes. So basically hoping just to reduce a lot of friction uh, in, in buying and sells in the short term. Uh, and then in the longer term, it would be like version three of the protocol, which again would have a focus on vault creators, as we mentioned, uh, launch pad sort of stuff, really trying to solve, you know, liquidity, as best we can, so I think we quite like to move to Uniswap uh, V3, where we can sort of tie in, concentrate liquidity ranges, so we can have the infinite range backing it. Um, but then also have the concentrated ranges and sort of allow people to then choose their range. You know where they're happy to be all in ETH or all in NFTs and sort of set the fees that they want to uh, set the fee percentage they want to earn. That's effectively the the long term V3 plan of, of, NF- of
0: NFTX right now. Awesome. Looking forward to seeing everything play out. Thank you so much, Quag, for taking the time to do this. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you for having me.